Glory to the labor comrades and welcome to the cabinet of fever dreams. Tonight's a tale of the steppe, magical herbs and powers beyond our comprehension. God has spoken to me. He is terrified of what is happening at was originally released November 2nd, 2021 and is read to you tonight by Creepy Oz featuring the voices of Sam Barlian and Lana Sinteri with musical backing by Carl Casey of White Bat Audio and Petra Mardian. The following tales belong to the United People's Institute of Science series, which we'll be unraveling on the podcast over the following weeks. Make sure to drop by later for the rest of the tales in this collection. New episodes come out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. With all that said, pull up your bike, sit down in the yurt, and get ready to meet God. The sky is the colour of a burning bush. The steppe spreads out before me like a sea of nothingness. An ancient turtle crawls out of the yellowed grass. My spawn, it says. My brother, fruit of my soul, we stand before you pleading for help. The rest of the universe speaks along with the animal. I hear syllables on the frigid wind. I feel the presence of the sky. My soul surges with an indescribable wave of emotion. God, is that you? I ask. Yes. The universe replies without hesitation. It is us, God. We come to you, common traveler, with a request for aid. For a moment, my mind slips to the happenings at the encampment. I fear that the children are scrapping my bike for parts. Suspicion about the herbs that the medicine men have given me smolders in my stomach. For a moment, I feel fear. But that fear is quickly whisked away. Looking up at the sky, I feel whole. The earth spins through the cosmos at my feet. In a burst of ecstasy, I find my throat tightening. Tears fill my eyes. God, I ask, crying uncontrollable tears of joy. God, are you still there? Yes. What do you want me to do? We need your help, traveler. The sky thunders as it turns a deep shade of emerald. We are the life force. We are the whole. Yet theirs is a corner of this world in which we are blind. There is a place in which our power wanes. We need you to go to this place and do our bidding. I wipe the tears out of my eyes, but more come. The blissful feeling of connection keeps on surging through my veins, driving me to peaks of joy that I did not know were humanly possible. Where is this place? I ask, struggling to get the words out. The wind dies down. The old turtle retreats into its shell. The sky darkens into a starless night. The place which you seek is not far from here. It is by a city, hidden in a forest. The voice goes quiet. The universe grows silent. A discomforting electricity rolls through the air. The place which you seek is... The world finally says, in a voice lacking all courage. When I first heard the voice... I experienced a feeling of joy I could scarcely put into words. What I feel next can only be expressed through screams. 
With each syllable of that horrid name that I hear, a new shard of ice travels through my spine. All the love and life seeps out of the universe and is replaced with utter darkness. I run away. The voice asks me to return, to listen, to help, but I run away. With each plea for help that the skies deliver, I feel a glimmer of light, a flicker of something good, but that horrible dread soon consumes it. Those incomprehensible words sent me sprinting through the steppe like a wild animal. I return to the encampment. I try to find someone who speaks Russian, but I can't. The blind panic that is raging across my being makes me feel faint. I crawl into the first yurt I see. It's empty. Shaking, I curl up in the corner of the tent and lose consciousness. I sleep a dreamless sleep, as if something was taken away from me. When I wake, it takes me a moment to remember that I'm not in Melbourne anymore. Outside of the tent, the morning sun shines bright, and the air smells of smoke and goat. I'm somewhere in Central Asia, on that motorbike trip I spent five years saving up for. Before the Soviets forced the local populations into concrete housing projects, most of the people out here lived the lives of nomads. Nearly a century later, in a world of Starbucks and Wi-Fi, some of those travelling encampments still remain. I'd ridden by some of those camps earlier on the trip, but I never stopped to explore. The six months worth of Duolingo Russian that I had under my belt made for a decent crutch when I was in the city, but I had little faith that they would help me out in the empty plains of the steppe. Yet, last night, as I was riding, I found my stomach desperately empty and a horrible migraine pushed against my aching eyes. I figured hand gestures would do for communication with the locals. They did. When I pushed up my motorcycle up to the encampment, a group of children ran up to meet me. Back home, I would have definitely had an issue with strangers touching my bike, but with the amount of mud and dust on it, a few fingerprints wouldn't make a difference. The children ran their fingers across the tires. I pressed my hands to my mouth. They took me to a tent with goat stew. Behind the pot sat an old woman wearing a wolfskin coat. I pressed my hands to my mouth once more, and she served me the broth. The migraine burning in the back of my skull took away much of the pleasure that the meal had to offer, but by the time the bowl was empty, my stomach was full. The woman smiled at me politely as I ate, yet when I tried to pay her with one of the colourful notes I exchanged in the city, her demeanour changed. She studied the money, then she studied me. After a brief, frustrated monologue in a language that I did not understand, she yelled something out of the tent. For a couple of flickers of the stove, we sat in silence, unable to resolve whatever problem existed with the money. Then, the tent door opened. A man my age walked in. The guy was a blend of culture. He wore a thick, fur cap and the bristly beard of a nomad. Both his pants and shoes looked homemade. Yet, he also wore a Coca-Cola t-shirt and held a plastic calculator in his hand. The old woman took the machine. 10,000. The old woman gestured at the monochrome screen. 
Then she cleared it. 500. She pointed at the calculator with purpose. I had no idea what she was trying to tell me. This frustrated her further. She said something to the man. Speaking Russian? He asked in a language I understood. Yes, I said. He relayed my message. The old woman immediately darted out of the yurt. Outside, a horse galloped off into the steppe. You have uh, given too much money, the man wearing the Coca-Cola shirt said. Mother is going to take smaller money from neighbor. I tried to remember the Russian words for distance or time, but I couldn't. How long is neighbor? The man seemed to have a crisis of words as well. He picked up the calculator and showed me a number. Three. I didn't know what to do with that information, but I embraced it. Where from? The man asked in broken Russian. Australia, I replied. The man flashed his yellowed teeth in excitement. Oh, shrimp on barbie! He said in thickly accented English. Kangaroo! I laughed. For a moment, I forgot about my migraine. How are you? The man asked, excited to be speaking English. Good, but my head hurts, I said, remembering my migraine. He said something I couldn't understand. Head hurting? He asked in Russian. Need medicine, man? I grasped at words that no language app would teach me. Smoking? I finally asked. The man nodded. I didn't know how long three was, and the prospect of smoking grass in the steppe sounded like an adventure. I took out another 10,000 note. I hoped that $30 Aussie would do. The man nodded more vigorously. This way, this way, he said, taking my money. He led me into another yurt, a larger one. A group of men sat around the fire, passing around a pipe. I'd hoped for a baggie, but the strange gathering intrigued me. The yurt vibrated with the deep tones of a melancholic throat song. The men around the fire were making sounds I didn't know human beings were capable of. Without pausing the music, they made room for me to sit. This was the adventure I'd left home for. Thirty minutes later, I was running around the steppe, ignoring the voice of God. My wallet is still in my pocket. No one stole my bike. Even my backpack and camping gear look untouched. Past the exhaustion from last night's rapture, I feel a wave of relief. I also feel hungry. When I enter the tent, the old woman immediately gets up from her broth and presses a bunch of notes into my hand. I fish out a 500 and press it to my mouth. She takes the money and gives me a bowl of stew. As I eat, the old woman continues to stir the pot, quietly. She hums herself a little song. My soul is still in flux from last night. I feel like I've both won the lottery and had an acute mental breakdown. I convince myself that everything I'd seen the night prior was simply the product of heavy psychedelics, but something in me feels changed. It feels like something real happened the night before. I try to figure out if I'm happy. I can't. I just know I'm happier than I was back home. Boomerang. A voice interrupts my reflection. 
Crocodile Dundee, how are you? Good, I say. How are you? I am Smile. The man says confidently. He tries formulating another English sentence, but gives up. Good smoke? Medicine man help? I realize that the headache is gone. I feel happy. Yes, headache gone. I spoke to a turtle. Somewhere in the back of my mind, a Duolingo chime echoes. The man laughs. We have strong medicine here. What did Turtle want? He wanted me to go to... The name of that horrid place scratches across my mind. Every syllable of that name sticks to my tongue like hot glue. He wanted me to go to... The flame beneath the pot hisses. The old woman stops humming. She starts shouting. The mood in the yurt quickly turns hostile. Out, you leave now. The man bellows in a language I could understand. Never using those words here, out. I try to apologize. I try to understand. But their fury is relentless. Saying the name of that place out loud, vocalizing those horrible sounds, it has made me unwelcome in the encampment. When I leave the yurt, the world outside is silent and still. Everyone has stopped what they were doing to stare at me. Even the pipe smokers from last night stand outside their tent, watching me. They're shaking their heads in sorrow, as if I had done a great misdeed. The encampment disappears in my side view mirror within minutes, but it remains on my mind as I ride. I went on this journey to seek the unknown, to experience other ways of life, but the look that the old woman had in her eyes makes me wish I stayed at home. Beyond me, the road stretches out into nothingness. Each kilometer of the steppe looks identical to the last, and I lose all semblance of time. I find my eyes tearing up. I stop the bike and put on my goggles. I hope that it's the dust of the steppe that was making my eyes water, but it's not. I find myself sobbing beneath my helmet. My spine. The world whispers as I pull my bike over to the side of the road. My brother, fruit of my soul, we should have known the true name of the dead place would be too much for the uninitiated. We apologize for the unnecessary pain. I feel the rough grass of the steppe on my face. I'm curled up on the ground, crying tears of unsolicited, unbearable joy. Your help is still needed, common traveler. Your aid is still of the utmost importance for the well-being of the world. We plead with you. Heed the directions. Commit to your duty. My body shivers under the blast of incomprehensible emotions, and I can scarcely see the world past my tear-filled eyes. Somewhere, deep inside, I'm scared. Somewhere deep inside of me, there is a sheer terror, provoked by the loss of control over my mind and body. Yet the inescapable fire of wholeness in my heart washes out the fear. I belong to the voice. I am part of the voice. The voice that speaks to me is everything that has ever existed. What? The words struggle out of my clenched throat. What do you want me to do, God? We need you to travel to the place where we are powerless. We need you to quell the spread of the infection. We need you to save us. I nearly choke on the words. How? How do I help? 
through my strained yelps, an outside observer would not understand me, yet the universe comprehends clearly. The baggage which you travel with contains a metal lock. It is a simple mechanism, but it will do. We implore you to travel to the dead place. We implore you to lock its doors so that the evil that dwells within harms no other. I crawl to my bike and reach into my backpack. I don't recall packing any metal locks, but as soon as I reach in, I feel it. It's like my hand is a magnet, as if the lock was destined to fit into my palm. I have the lock, I say. My voice is starting to clear. The unbearable ecstasy is descending into a simple good mood. For a moment, I feel like I can withstand the presence around me without bursting into tears. As soon as it speaks again, however, my eyes flood once more. Good. The heavens say, revealing the sun. Now travel to the dead place and fulfill your duty to life itself. The roads will lead you where you must go. I take a couple of deep breaths to steady myself and I get back on my motorcycle. I grip the handlebars hard and pray that the voice won't speak during a sharp turn. It doesn't. All that keeps me company during my journey is the warm sun and the sharp wind in my face. The road no longer seems aimless and the steppe no longer seems barren. I can sense every single bush that litters the plain before me. The mountains beckon me closer. My existence is brimming with purpose. I do not understand what is happening, but I know I am doing God's work. I know I am traveling to to save life itself. Whatever heavenly presence burning in my chest lasts for most of the journey. Yet, as the land before me turns from barren earth to woodlands, I start to feel alone. We have arrived. The trees above me whisper as the road touches a forest clearing. From here you must continue on foot. The voice is still there. That presence of utter goodness and joy still lingers in the air, but I feel alone. We cannot guide you the whole way. Our power wanes the closer you walk to the dead place. You must take this journey alone. With every step I take into the forest, I feel that sense of cosmic wholeness seep away. The wilderness around me is beautiful and unkempt, but beneath it all, I feel ugly conformity. Beneath the tranquility of the forest, I can feel the... There are dangers lurking in the forest, dangers which will attempt to hinder your quest. The ground beneath me whispers in a strained, powerless tone. Beware the moat of cursed water that surrounds the place you seek. Beware the forces of the forest. Beware the bright-eyed scientist. The trees around me are lush and green and filled with birds. Yet the further into the woods I walk, the less healthy the world feels. From all the dangers which you must be aware of, there is one that is of paramount importance. Do not look into the place. Do not gaze into the cursed place. The voice grows raspy and weak. Do not look inside of the... The name of the place no longer makes me flee, but it still stirs terror in my heart. I am alone. The sky goes grey, and the trees grow thin. The grass is diseased, and the animals are silent. I walk through a steadily dying world, 
clutching at the mysterious lock in my palm for comfort. At first, the felled trees are a rarity, but soon enough, the sight of them turns regular. The forest withers before my eyes until there is nothing left but dead shrubbery. In a clearing, surrounded by dead plants and mud, stands a large cement building. It has no windows, only a single set of rusted doors. Around the lifeless structure, there is a large ditch filled with murky water. Everything around me is still, yet the moat shimmers and pulses with foreign life. I pay it no mind. I ignore the horrid stillness in the air and jump over the strange water. A gnawing fear at the core of my being wants me to turn back and run away. Something primal tells me I'm in a place where I shouldn't be, but I ignore it. As I move towards the I remind myself that I am doing so in service of God. I reach the rusted door. I see the opening for the lock. I feel the metal in my hand. But I don't lock the door just yet. The strange woman, the medicine man, the voice, one day of insanity had made the whole trip worth it. Yet, suddenly, I am consumed by curiosity. I want to know what is behind that door. I want to see the thing that even my maker is terrified of. The pull of the forbidden is irresistible. A magnetic tear in reality demands me to grab the handle. I can't resist it. A dark roar reverberates through my soul. A filthy toxic stew brews in my stomach. Something inside of me wants to see the... I try to remind myself of the heavenly directives I was given. I try to ignore the pull towards the dead place, but I can't. From the other side of the door, I hear a low, throaty groan. It is as unnatural and fascinating as the throat songs of the pipe smokers. Just a peek. I promise myself that it's just a peek. Immediately, I regret it. Before me is a surprisingly clean, fluorescent lit hallway. A man stands in front of me. There's something behind him, but my eyes recoil towards the familiar. Middle-aged, drab suit, bushy mustache. There's something behind him, but my eyes refuse to look. The man's eyes are shut. His eyebrows are furrowed. He's shaking his head from side to side. There's something behind him, and it's coming closer. You shouldn't have come here, the man says in Russian, his voice grave and his eyes shut. No one should ever come to... For a split second, I force my eyes to look at the thing behind him. Tears of terror dull my eyesight. I slam the door shut and hook the metal. My mind exists in a universe of sheer panic, but I double-check the lock. I triple-check the lock. My body will not let me leave until I am certain that the thing inside cannot get out. Only when I am sure that the abomination is contained do I run away. It is through sheer instinct that I remember to jump over the moat. It is through pure luck that I get past the dead shrubbery unscathed. My mind is elsewhere. My mind is thinking of the blood, the metal, the arteries, the claws. My mind is cursed with visions of the evil that dwells within 
When the forest path turns green once more, I meet a stranger, a small man dressed in a thick jacket carrying a thermos. He is walking towards me. When he sees me, he smiles and waves. I do not return the pleasantries. I grab him. I grab him and I beg him not to continue down this path. I try to warn him of the pulsating monstrosity that haunts the halls of But I fail. He does not understand me. His smile quickly fades. He looks at me like I'm drunk. I try to reason with him, but he continues walking down the path. I cannot stop him. I dare not take one step closer to that thing. With guilt in my panicked stomach, I run back to my bike and drive away as far as I can. The voice assures me that I have done a good deed. The voice assures me that I have saved the world. But I do not feel victorious. I do not feel the cosmic sense of belonging that communing with the heavens instilled in me before. I do not feel good about traveling so far from home. All I feel is fear. What I have seen inside of me is an affront to all that is good. It is an affront to life itself. It is powerful and large and beyond comprehension. I have only seen it for a handful of seconds, but the weight of its visage is something I will carry with me to the grave. I fear the thing that lives inside of I fear that a simple metal lock cannot hold it. The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kuss, Bob Kondrick, Chicken Mixer, Daniel Wengel, and Mr. Creepypasta. If you'd like to join these fine people and support the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J. Langer. That's all for tonight, comrade. See you here next episode for another tale from the United People's Institute of Science. Glory to labor.